Well, good morning to you all. People often ask me, what are you going to preach on? I don't know. As soon as I finish, I'll tell you. This is one of those that I've never spoken about before, although it was in a series on Isaiah. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Why should Israel trust God and his promises? That question was asked of me in Israel by an Israeli, a leader of several years. Why in the world should we trust God and his promises when we see what's happening? In the last week, over 80 rockets shot at us. Why should we trust God and his promises? Why? We have Hezbollah in the north. We have Hamas in Gaza, both supported by Iran. The drone that was sent by Hezbollah two weeks ago, we know was made by Iran, given to Hezbollah, and they were behind it. They shot it down in Gaza, but it took pictures of the entire Mediterranean coast and of the nuclear facility in Damona. Why should we trust God? We have also Syria. We got 30,000 refugees at the border begging us to open our doors and let them come in, which we're not going to do. But Israel is not oblivious or uncompassionate. The fact of the matter is, Bogan David, the Israeli Red Cross, is up there every day with food and medicines and shelter. They're doing their best to help them, and they're just on the other side of the Syrian border. You may ask me, well, how do you know that? Because I went to the Syrian border just last month and observed it. It's a terrible crisis, and we're doing nothing about it but saying, well, we'll negotiate again. You know, Nehemiah was asked to negotiate and come out to the plain of Ono. And he said, oh, no. <laughs> it's been our longstanding policy not to negotiate with the enemies, but you can certainly, can you not, understand where Israel is. Israel knows more about the nuclear problem in Iran than the United States does. And Israel's getting tired of telling the CIA information they do not know, but they never, never do anything about. Our country's in a bad way, worse than all the plundits and all the statements that you're hearing on the TV. That's only so you'll get a, a person elected. The truth of the matter is, we're in deep trouble as a nation all over the world. And a lot of people try to make it out like it's better than it is. No, it is not. It's worse than any of us know. Journalism is an all-time low. And all over the world, the media is against Israel. The most accurate newspaper in the, in the world for the last 13 years is the Jerusalem Post. If you've never read it, go on my website, davidhocking.org. Click on links. They're all organized for you. And there's the Jerusalem Post. You can double-click it and read every day. The Israeli Mossad, the greatest intelligence agency in the world, they have agents in all 22 Muslim countries in the Middle East. That wonderful organization is run by men who know the Bible. And uh, that's the thing we don't quite understand. The Bible is still the only textbook 
in the nation of Israel. And I thank God for Prime Minister Netanyahu, who just two weeks ago was on Israeli radio. I like to listen to that. They have an English version. They have a, uh, also a Hebrew edition. And he went on there and said, it's about time that we understand that the only real hope for peace is the Messiah of Israel. And our Bible promises that he will come. He said, I am, as of this night, announcing that I'm going to have a Bible study in my home after the Shabbat, meaning sundown Saturday night. We will open up our home, my wife and I, for all members of the Knesset. And we've invited Rabbi Rabinovich, who's very special on prophecy, and he will be teaching the Bible. He said, I also would like to recommend that every Israeli home begin a Bible study in your home. Even if it's with your own children, we must restore the Bible to the consciousness of the Israeli people. And once again, we are not trusting in the United States. He said it so clearly everyone would understand it. He said, you're all worried about how I've been rebuffed by the President of the United States. But I've also been warmly received by the Prime Minister of Canada. We also thank God for all those people living in the little island of Micronesia, for they have voted for us every single time since 1948. They're the only nation to do so. I don't know what they're doing down there, but I think we all should move. (laughs) So hopefully you can understand by these preliminary remarks, and I have a lot more, but time constrains us. The fact is... Israel questions also, just like we do, whether God is going to be faithful to all those wonderful promises. In the new book we just finished called Israel Chosen by God, there's a few left back there, uh, it emphasizes that point. It's divided up between learning the existence of Israel because they were not one of the uh, 70 nations after the flood. Israel is not a genetic result. Abraham was a Gentile, and he believed God's promise, and it was counted to him for righteousness. The Bible says in Isaiah 43, verse 1, that Israel was created by God. The word is bara. It means out of nothing. They are not a genetic result. We still have the stereotypes of uh, physical appearance of Jews all over the world. It's about time the world goes to Israel and visits it and understands that we got Jews there from 185 countries out of 193 total. Ezekiel 36:24 says God will have his people from all countries of the world before the Messiah returns. Eight more to go. Get your bags packed. A lot of wonderful things. Well, my heart was moved by what I heard. Why trust God? You know, you can, as a pastor, immediately go into a big spiel. Um, But I didn't feel that. Instead, I felt the grief, the pain, the hurt of all of history that still lays on our Jewish friends in Israel. Oh, how I pray that our nation will return to total 100% support behind Israel, just like we've always had. Because America is blessed because of it. God said, I'll bless you. 
I'll bless them that bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. We're living under a curse that's unbelievable. People say, well, that just deals with money and debt. What do you think the Bible teaches? That just deals with, no, all the things that we're suffering, especially all these bad disasters, including Hurricane Sandy. People ask me all the time. They don't stay on the phone long, but uh, newspaper people call, and they say, well, what do you think about these disasters? Are they a judgment of God? And I always answer, is the Pope Catholic? Is the sky blue? Is the grass green? And they say, what do you mean by that? I said, the Bible says he does it. Fire, earthquake, and stormy wind, fulfilling his word, Psalm 148, verse 8. The next thing they say, is there anyone else there that we can talk to? I'm tired of this. Enough is enough. I don't know how you feel, but I'm praying that we're going to see a miracle Tuesday. And not just for the presidency. We can endure another four years, no matter who it is. But I'll tell you one thing we need. We need more Bible-believing Christians in the Congress. We only have, by name and address, 74. 74 cannot vote anything through, unless they were 74 senators, of course. This is our problem. we got a Congress far from God. Well... This is not a political speech, say so many. I don't say that. I'll say what I want to say about politics and religion and whatever you want. Uh, I'm not going to stop. If I lose my teeth, I'll gum it to death. I'm not stopping. Okay? Now, a quick word about where we're going to look in the Bible. I said Isaiah 40, which is true. Isaiah is not written by two Isaiahs. That's liberal theology and liberal preachers. No, there are two divisions of Isaiah. Interesting, um, there are 39 books in the Old Testament, and there's 27 in the New. Isaiah is divided into 39 books to start with, all on judgment, judgment about uh, Israel as well as other nations surrounding her. And the last 27 chapters are all about comfort and encouragement. I like that because that's our mailing address at Hope for Today, box 3927. (laughs) I remember when I first read Isaiah 40 many years ago. By the way, I wish we had that commentary here. Uh, Some of you got it last year, but we're sold out again of Isaiah one of the most important prophecy books you can possibly study. And from chapter 40 to the end, it's all about comfort. Look at chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her. It literally says, speak to her heart. That her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Never think Israel has not been judged. And so for 27 chapters, the theme is about the Messiah who's called the servant of the Lord. You may be interested to know that in a a normal Jewish rabbinical tradition, they love the last 27 chapters of Isaiah, but they do not read chapter 53 in the synagogue. 
He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, etc. Many Gentile Christians believe that they're trying to avoid the prophecies about Jesus in the New Testament because Isaiah 53 is quoted quite often. That is not the reason. The official rabbinical interpretation of Isaiah 53 is that it's referring to the Holocaust under Hitler. So they remain quiet in prayer for a few minutes, and then we'll start with chapter 54. So you show your calloused heart and indifference to Jewish people by not understanding why they do that. I was on the phone with a a favorite rabbi of mine. We talk a lot. He's a good man. He just needs the Lord. And I talked to him about Isaiah 53. And uh, I said, you know, Rabbi, it's a shame we can't read that in the synagogue. Well, he said, David, you know why we can't. I said, yeah, but I think we're wrong. (laughs) He said, I beg your pardon. I said, I think you're wrong. Well, why do you say that? Because when you quote it, you say, we, or they, you change the pronouns. It is not talking about the Jewish people suffering. It's talking about one Jewish man who suffered. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. I said, Rabbi, we need to find that Jewish man right away because he's the only one that can save us from our sins. He said, good point, and hung up on me. (laughs) That's all right, I'm used to it. The text I want to answer the question of why Israel can trust God and his promises is found in Isaiah 40, beginning at verse 18. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter, verse 31. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? The workman melteth the graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation, chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have you not known, have you not heard, hath it not been told you from the beginning, Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted, yea, they shall not be sown, Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth, and he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, 
who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all, meaning the stars, by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There's no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. To them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. And all God's people said, thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we need to understand this passage. If this is really you, then we can trust you to keep your word. And I pray, Lord, you will reinforce that upon our hearts through your word. And God, I pray again that those who have come into this meeting and are not sure of their relationship with you might settle that now before it's too late. Thank you, Lord. In the blessed name of our Lord Yeshua, we pray. Amen. Yes, it's about comfort. The word comfort appears 66 times in the English Bible, but the main Hebrew word, nacham, is found 109 times. The English guys missed it. The root word means to breathe or to sigh or to console or to have pity, but most Jews like the words compassionate. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. That poor motley group of 50,000 Jews that Babylon left after devastating the city, the temple, and the land. It is of the Lord's mercies that we, those of us who are still here, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Now we all know about the great hymn, or most of us should, especially you old dudes here. You know that wonderful hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. But how many times... Have we sung that hymn and not known that it was based on Lamentations chapter 3, 22 and 23? It's referring to God's mercy upon the Jewish people that no one has ever wiped them out and nobody ever will. Including Mahmoud Ahmadinejad of Iran. Who, by the way, is in a great bit of trouble himself right now. If you keep reading... Our website, davidhockey.org, we put on articles that you can download free. And one of them I had on last week is about the trouble that's going on in Iran. You ought to read it. It's very interesting. God's not done with Iran. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of believers in Iran. There's a lot of Jewish people in Iran. And God's not done with them. 
just because the administration like ours is far from God doesn't mean that God is far from them. That's our hope as well. In the New Testament, interestingly, the word comfort in English has five different Greek words translated with a simple comfort. One means called alongside of. Uh, one, one means to speak to another by coming close. Another means to address, to be courageous. I like the one that means well soiled, sold. Your soul is well. And therefore you can refresh others. I like that. Second Corinthians 1.3 says, God is the God of all comfort. God the Father comforts us, we're told, in Second Corinthians, which, by the way, that series is on our radio broadcast right now. In 1 John 2, 2, our Lord Yeshua is called the Advocate, literally the Comforter. In John 14, the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, after telling us about the rapture of the church, it says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Instead of tearing down and ripping people apart, we need to encourage people and comfort them with the truth of what's coming very soon now. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together. Romans 15.4 It's through patience and comfort of the Scriptures that we might have hope. Israel needs hope. Israel needs to know if they can trust God. So let's put up the question. How does God's power, because it is because of His power that you can trust Him, how does that power comfort Israel? Good question, huh? I like, I like that little guy. I was just reading uh, Isaiah uh, recently, preparing for uh, coming here, and uh, it, it wasn't my intention to go to this passage, but I couldn't get away from it. God says, well, who are you going to liken to me? Is there someone else you think you can trust? It's a tremendous analysis. So I want you to see that in at least five areas, and let's put them up there. First, it's seen in the contrast of God's greatness to the idols of humanity. That's in verses 18 to 19. You, you're going to make me like them? The workman, he melts a graven image, he finds a tree, and he casts it, hopes that it'll last for a long time, and all of this, it's a graven image. And what does God say in the law? Thou shalt have no graven image before me or likeness of anything in heaven and earth. You know, our God cannot be likened to anything that you and I observe or see or understand. He's bigger, much bigger. I think that when you have problems in your life, and who doesn't? The guy that says he doesn't, of course, has a major problem in lying. <laughs> but we all have problems. There's, there's health problems. There's financial problems. Problems of relationships with people that you have to work with every week. That, those aren't easy. But do you understand that we often turn to the graven image? You say, I don't have a graven idol in my house. Wait a minute. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's a bank account that gives you a measure of security. 
Sometimes it's your last medical exam that told you you were in great shape. A friend of mine from years ago, he was in great shape. He won several AAU weightlifting championships. And I remember the day he called me and he said, hey, the doctor said he's never seen anybody such a fine specimen and I'm in perfect health. The next day he dropped dead. You know, uh, God's in control of that, in case you didn't know. Amen? Amen. I, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, and I don't know, but somebody here may die before you get home today. That's what life's all about. And it's foolish on our part to think that something we have or know or understand is going to solve the problems that we have. We have a problem of trusting God, especially when things aren't going like we thought or planned. Secondly, it's seen in the construction of the universe as a dwelling place for God. How big is God wrote that song? How big is God? How big and wide is vast? You know, you little speck, you. How stupid we are. Why do we need God's power to back up God's promises? Because we are unable to do anything about it. We keep thinking we are. Well, we got to get a new iron dome, you know, so we can knock down all the missiles that are coming to us. Well, now they know about our iron dome. Well, then we're going to have to get something else. I wonder if the U.S. will sell it to us. Well, they don't seem to have one yet. They gave us the Iron Dome. And it's only somewhat successful. Well, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that all of these enemies surround us. How are we going to survive? Well, we'll trust God. The fact that you stutter shows you're not sure. You know what? I don't blame the Israelis for being so scared. I don't blame it at all. I saw that last month. We were there all over the land. Went all the way down to Eilat, the Gulf of Aqaba, went up to the border of Syria, and all of this, and I see fear in their eyes. In the big sh- uh, grocery stores, they have a huge bunch of those now, supermarkets, and almost every single basket of groceries that came out had a gas mask in it. I said to this one guy, I said, boy, you guys are really selling those gas masks. He said, oh, those are sold out every week. We have to get a bigger supply and all of that. And I said, well, if a nuclear bomb hits you, what good is a gas mask? He said, is is there one going to come? I said, I don't know. I shouldn't have brought it up, but you know, you guys are getting prepared with gas masks? I don't know if you know what a nuclear weapon is, but if it hits anywhere close to you, man, you're gone. You're disintegrated. You aren't here anymore. He got more afraid. Is there something you know that you're not telling us? No, I, I got to get out of those people in that bus because they're just as afraid as you are. <laughs> Number three. You see it in the control of God over the leaders of the world. Oh, I love this, verse 23 and 24. That bringeth the princes to nothing. 
He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Hebrew word, the best translation I ever found was soap bubbles. They shall not be planted. They shall not be sown. Their stock shall not take root. And he shall blow on them and they'll wither. God sneezes and they're gone. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. Was there a question in your mind about what God could do? All of the leaders of this world, we're supposed to be electing some. How many of you have already voted? That's what I thought. I could feel it. So have I. I feel so relaxed knowing that all my choices are going to be, no, no. God's in control, folks, of all the leaders of this world. I've written Obama several times. Uh, I haven't got an answer yet. Um, I wrote him one time and said, Dear Barack Obama Hussein. I put Hussein at the end so he'd know I knew that he was Muslim. Anyway, in the letter I said, Are you aware that you are in the hand of the Lord? And he can turn it however he wants? You better be careful. Here today, gone tomorrow. I never got an answer. I just had a funeral of a 99-year-old man. I almost feel like I contributed. Why? Oh, because when I talked to him about two weeks before he died, I said, boy, hang on, 30 days, you'll get your letter from the president which is sent to everybody who turns 100. He said, I want you to pray right now that I die immediately. I do not want a letter from Obama. You know, he did in two days. He dropped dead. I had his funeral. Wonderful man of the Lord, 99 years old. But how about this, number four? Are you still shaky? Listen. In the creation of the heavenly bodies that we look at and enjoy. Look at what it says, verse 25. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high. Behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their hosts by number? You know, come on, we've never counted the stars. We've had some guys down at NASA that have tried by computers, and they've given up. Unbelievable. I love the story from two years ago. I still have it in my file because it is so funny. Two young guys from NASA were assigned the task of finding if we could observe the end of the universe as we know it. They got so excited, they felt they found it. They found the end of the universe. Beyond our solar system, they found the black hole was so big, it's got to be the end. And they prepared their report, and I guess it was a big, thick thing, and they brought it in to their supervisor who was going to take it to Washington and show them all. <laughs> and the day before they went in to see the report, they found another little planet out beyond our solar system. It's a little dinky thing, but it's out there. And so they're standing there with the report, and the supervisor says, well, what'd you find? 
I think we're pretty close. What do you mean pretty close? Well, yesterday we found, uh, well, here, sir, you take the report. Uh, big old thing, he's holding it. We found, a, it looks like maybe a small planet. And what happened, according to the news, was he threw the report, 2,000 pages of it, all over the office and says, where's the end of the universe? One young man got his courage up and said, well, if you believe in God, uh, probably we haven't come to it yet. The guy got really angry at him. He wanted to fire him, but what are you going to do, huh? You guys have worked so hard. The end of the universe? Are you kidding? We're talking about God. And he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. Wow. Well, there must be other places like earth. No, there's not. How do you know? Because the Bible says so. Well, how do you know earth is just for us? Maybe it's for the aliens that are coming. No, it's just for man. And the Bible says so. What about... I don't know. I don't know about any aliens or anything. All I know is in the Bible, Christians are called aliens. Amen? We're the aliens. Secret service agents for Jesus. We're trying to snatch the people, take them to heaven with us. The creation of the universe... He calls them all by name, by what? By the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power and not one faileth. You understand the reason why the children of Israel were not trusting God and were going through all these horrible things because they forgot who God is. I say often that the root of every problem in my life is a misunderstanding or a misapplication of who God is and what he can do. Number five, and finally, do not be encouraged, Dr. LeHay, by the word finally, because there's several points under this one. <laughs> we see it in the confidence we have in the strength of the Lord. The strength of the Lord, there are two things that are very clear. First, our failure to apply God's strength. Verse 27. Why sayest thou, O Israel, and speakest, uh, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel? Now here's what they say. My way is hid from the Lord. He's got too much on his agenda today. He doesn't care about me. And my judgment is passed over from my God. There's two things involved here that are very common to us all. One, because we think Put it up there. Because we think that God does not understand what we are experiencing. Therefore, we lose heart. We stop trusting. We worry more. We're filled with anxiety. Why? Because we think God doesn't understand. We say just like Israel did. My way is hid from the Lord. Hebrews 4.13 says that nothing is hid from the Lord. In Psalm 139, it says, Such knowledge as he has is too wonderful for me. 
Wonderful means fantastic in English or great, but it doesn't in Hebrew. The word in Hebrew means too difficult to understand or incomprehensible. Remember in Isaiah 9, 6, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. It means too difficult to understand. Why would you talk to anybody else when the one who knows everything and everything about you and your future even, he's waiting for you. Call upon him. Believe that he's there. By the way, your faith doesn't make it so. When people say, I believe it, God said it, that settles it. That really disturbs me. That's a heretical remark. No, the truth is, you say, God said it, and, and whether I believe it or not is a secondary matter, by the way. No matter what I believe, whether I believe it or I not, if God said it, then that's a done deal. Amen? So all of us are reflections of what's going on in Israel by a nation who's scared to death about what's happening and who's going to attack them next. Our ways hid from the Lord? No, it's not. He knows everything about you and everything about me. One morning, early, my wife usually fixes me breakfast for, before I go to work. I went out the front door and I was sitting on our little steps there. and My wife came out and she said, what are you doing? Oh, I'm kind of troubled over what God knows. What are you troubled over what he knows? Well, I'm trying to decide, does he know I'm going to eat breakfast? And what if I change my mind and decide not to? Does he know that, that I'm not going to eat breakfast? She said, well, what's that little dandelion doing in your hand? Well, it got so tough on my brain, I picked this out of the lawn, so I picked the little leaves off. I'm going to eat breakfast. I'm not going to eat breakfast. And I even looked up to heaven and said, I bet you don't know how this is going to come out. My wife said, I'll tell you what God wants you to do. She said, he wants you to eat the breakfast I've already cooked and is on the table. Now get in there. And I just said, thank you, Lord, for revealing your will through my wife. Life is like that. We think God doesn't understand. The Bible's filled with it. Of course he understands. Why was Israel so troubled? When everybody's starting to shoot at you, and they're in the same boat again, by the way. When no one really likes you. When everybody thinks you're the problem, and you haven't done anything yet. Does God understand? Is my way hidden from the notice of the Lord? The answer is never. He sees it all. That was a little chorus in Sunday school that scared the daylights out of me. I don't know if you sang it around here. It went like this. He sees all you do and he hears all you say. My Lord's are writing all the time. As a little kid, I saw this long sheet of things that he's been writing all the time about David. We're going to get him one day. You know, that's not the way God is. But by the way, he does see it all. He does hear it all. He knows it all. And he knows how it's going to turn out. Amen? 
See, I have hope beyond the grave. It's going to be wonderful. But there's a second cause here. Number two, because we think that God does not care about what we are experiencing. I see it all the time in hospitals and assisted living places and rest homes. People, they can't get it in their head. One translation says, the justice do me escapes the notice of my God. Well, that's just as phony as my judgment is passed over by my God. No, God is ruling in the universe. His sovereignty rules over all, the Bible says. He's doing everything according to his plan. I don't believe there's any openings for you to help. God knows what he's going to do with everything that is happening in your life and in mine. God does care. He says it over and over again. He told the children of Israel that he cares even though he knows they're dirt. Amen? Why don't you turn to the person next to you right now and say, are you aware that you're nothing but a dirt clod (laughs) to God? But he's in the dirt. He's in the dirt. And he loves you. I said there were two things here. One was certainly our failure. But how about this one? Verses 28 to 30. Our faith to accept God's strength. Here's where the rubber meets the road. This is what Israel got to understand. This is what you and I have got to understand. Whether we know it or not, that's based on two things. In verse 28... It's based on the nature of God himself. There are three basic understandings about the infinite God, what he is that we are not, that are mentioned right here in verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, yes, he is omnipresent, he is everlasting. The Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not. He's omnipotent. He never faints. He doesn't need a nap. He's not weary today. He's not over in China and so tired he can't get over here. There's no searching of his understanding. In other words, he's omniscient. All three, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. If you have faith in what the Lord can do and what he's promised, that's based on who God is, not who we are. Hello? And secondly, it is based on our need for God's strength. Our need, verse 29 to 31. Just two things and we're done. One, that need is so clearly present in all of us because, first of all, his capacity is greater than ours. Duh. Is that not true? God can do what we cannot do. See, I believe in healing. I really do. A lot of people think I don't because I don't like the divine healers running around on television and in cities trying to act like they could blow on people or throw their coat on them and all of a sudden they're going to get healed. Uh Uh-uh. No, I believe in healing that God can heal you even when the doctors say it's impossible. 
I've experienced that. In a way, my wife experiences it every day. Uh, she has a rare blood disease that's lifespan is only seven years. She is now the longest patient in America with the disease. 22 years every month having her blood taken out and they don't replace it. Listen, his capacity is greater than ours. So I'm praying all the time. I want that to go away. But God left it there. That's the same thing he did with Paul. He didn't take it away. He said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul then wrote, most gladly, therefore, will I rather rejoice in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We just don't get it. His capacity is greater than ours. Verse 29, he giveth power to the faint. To them that have no might, he increaseth strength. By the way, this is one of my favorite verses. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. Praise God! <laughs> the old dudes win again. But there's a second reason why you and I need God's strength. Not only because his capacity is greater than ours, but because our capability is limited. There's a third matter that is out of a very familiar verse, and a lot of people have never seen it in the context of Israel in all of its trials. God's trying to comfort them. Our need for God's strength is not only because his capacity is greater than ours, and our capability is obviously limited, but number three, and finally, because our commitment to wait upon the Lord gives us what we desperately need until he takes us home. They that wait upon the Lord. It's not simply the idea that you're standing in line waiting for the clerk to handle your stuff. No. Waiting is a word of dependency and trust. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That's an interesting word. The Hebrew suggests the idea of an exchange. And I like that. Let's just translate it that way. Those that wait on the Lord, upon the Lord, shall exchange their strength, that is their lack of it, with his. They that mount up with wings as eagles. Look, I went to an Orient theology. I know it's stupid people say, but I learn a lot from other people. This Orient theology, you know, the bird doctor. I said, what is it about eagles? that makes the Bible talk about him so much. He said, well, there's a lot of things, but I would say just one, basically. I said, what's that? They never have to exert any effort at all to get to a higher place. Did you hear that? You'll mount up with wings as he goes. What's carrying them up there higher? The wind. Have you ever seen an eagle do this? Oh boy, I hope I can get to the top. It's getting late, man. I'll be up there and be dark by now. No, you never see an eagle doing that. While we were at Gamla, the Masada of the north in the Golden Heights in Israel, it's filled with eagles. And it was fun watching them just soar. 
You see, the wind drives them, and the wind carries them. Wow. You'll run and not be weary, and you'll walk and not faint, because you're committed to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, says chapter 27 of the Psalms, and he will encourage your heart. Amen? Amen. So, can Israel trust God? Absolutely. Why? Because he's God. He's got the power to do it. And I don't care if all nations of the world come against them. They are, by the way. The Bible says so. You don't have to worry because guess who's coming to dinner on a white horse? The Messiah of Israel. He himself will tread out the winepress of God's wrath. He himself will use a rod of iron to stomp and destroy every army of every nation who thought they could come against its people. Praise be to the power of God. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let's pray. Thank you for your attention. Father, how thankful we are for your word. And just to read these sweet words in Isaiah about your power to know you will never leave us nor forsake us that you are working out your plan on planet Earth. You know exactly when things are going to take place and how, and you've asked us to trust you. I pray we might go out of here with a new peace in our hearts, a new confidence because of who you are and what you can do. In the blessed name of our Lord Yeshua, we pray. Amen. If you would... uh, like some help in any way, we do have a free booklet that we give people and a free Bible study by mail. And um, there's a series of lessons in it. We send you one at a time. I think it's one of the best things you can do. I think so often the church, we, we kind of hope people will do something, but we need to have you get involved and do it and see what you know. And uh, those little cards you can fill out are on the back table. God bless you.